good morning. Am I on? There we go. Amen. Thank you for being here. This has just been an exciting and incredible just season and series going through the Word of God together through the foundational beliefs that we hold true in the Christian faith. And uh, I know some of these have been uh, deep theological things, but I believe that this is very, very important for us. Because the Spirit of God wants to build a strong faith foundation. He wants to build a strong faith life. He wants us to become everything God created us to be. And He can't bring us into those good things, those purposes He has for our lives, if our foundation is fractured, if it's not, if it's not uh, strong and sturdy. And so we've been looking in Hebrews chapter 6. That's our main text. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We will be covering a lot of Scripture today. And uh, it should be on the screen, Um, but uh, if we don't, if we can't get the screen back, you can navigate to the UVersion Bible app and uh, and catch the verses there, but we will be reading a lot of scripture, and uh, so I would encourage you to use your worship guide to take notes and refer to these later, but it's important that we see from the Word of God what God has to say so that we know how we should believe how we should think about certain things, and that will enable us to not only do what he's called and created us to do, but see God's power and his work and and alive and powerfully in our lives. And in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews discusses several basic things, foundational things that each believer needs to know. We talked about baptism and repentance and faith and salvation. We talked about the laying on of hands, not just praying, but how to release blessing when we pray for people and how the Spirit of God wants to use us to be that vehicle to release blessing into other people. And today we're going to begin really part one of a two-part message on a subject that is vitally important for us to know and understand, that this is one you don't want to check out on. This is one you want to lean in. And my heart has been really heavy this week Because this is not a subject we like to discuss in church. When we gather together, we want to be encouraging. We want to focus on the love of God. In Romans, it says it is God's kindness and love that leads people to repentance. That's why we talk about the love of Christ, that God loves us. Jesus loves us. He loves everybody, every person. And so we want to focus on the good things, the encouraging things. But this subject is not uh, the first part of it anyways, is not one of those subjects that is encouraging. It's heavy. It's deep. But it's something we all need to recognize and remember. I think one of the reasons why we see a lot of apathy in the church today and why we maybe see some dysfunctional things in the church today is because we have forgotten this subject. We have forgotten what God has said about this subject. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, what it says here is that you don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, or the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. There is coming a day where there will be a resurrection, and after the resurrection will be an eternal judgment. This is one of the reasons, this is the catalyst for why Jesus came to begin with. This is why Jesus came into the earth, why he came to save us from our sins, because he knew what was coming for all mankind. 
He knew what was coming. In Hebrews 9.27, the Bible says, just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. There is a judgment coming. Because sin is in the world, God in his righteousness and his holiness has to judge sin. It is against his nature to let evil, to let wrong continue on. As much as he is loving, he is also justice and holy. He is righteous and holy. Judgment is coming for us all. Jesus even said that we will give an account for every idle word we speak. I mean, think, think about that. Every word you say, conscious or not, you're going to give an account for that before the very throne of God. Everyone will be under the divine microscope of God in the judgment, and God misses nothing. God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows what's in our hearts. Even if we're trying to hide something deep within our hearts, God sees even in the depths of our soul, there's nothing outside of his vision. And here in Hebrews chapter 6, he talks about the resurrection and eternal judgment, and it seems like these are two different events, the resurrection and judgment. By the way, the writer of Hebrews lists these two together. However, there is the resurrection of the dead, there is an eternal judgment, but these are actually two events that happen concurrently. The resurrection happens, and immediately the judgment takes place. The dead is raised, and then they are judged. But the Bible also reveals that there are actually two different resurrections and two different judgments. And so we're going to look at the first today, Daniel 12, 2. Um, it says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The first resurrection we're going to look at today is the one of the unrighteous. The one of the unrighteous, the resurrection, those who are resurrected to shame and everlasting contempt. If someone comes to you and says, hey, I've got to tell you something, but I've got good news and I've got what? Bad news, right? This is a good news, bad news situation, okay? And for me, I have to do the bad news first because it doesn't matter how good the good news is. I can't even listen to that until I figure out what the bad news is. My anxiety doesn't let me, doesn't let me process that way. So we're going to look at the bad news first, and then next week we're going to look at the good news. There is good news. Amen? There is good news, okay? So, so bear with me. Hang in here. But we want to look at the resurrection of the unrighteous. There is going to be a judgment on the righteous, but it's different than the judgment on the unrighteous. So in part one today, we're going to look at the fate of the unrighteous. And we're going to begin looking in Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 14. You can write that down until we get the, the notes on the screen. But in Revelation 20, 10 through 14, this is what the Bible says. And, it, and again, the judgment begins with the worst of the worst. It begins with the devil and his angels. It says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. 
And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, this is an important message. And I just pray against every distraction of the enemy, every attack that the enemy would come to get us disconnected, Lord. This is a message that goes to the heart of the gospel. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd fill me and allow me to deliver your message with grace and truth. But God, that you would open our hearts and our ears. Let the one with ears hear and the one with a mind ready to understand, understand, God, what you have for us. And I just pray, Lord, that this message would shake us in our spirit. God, and I pray that your your truth would be revealed. Your heart would be revealed. God, you have our full attention in Jesus' name. Amen. The great white throne judgment is the judgment that scholars refer to as the judgment of the unrighteous. There is a judgment coming on all the world. Everyone who dies a sinner, who dies in their sin, that will be uh, judged. And like I said before in this series, the only difference between a godless person and a godly person is what they do with Jesus Christ. That is the only difference. A believer in Jesus does not stop sinning. Though we stop trying to revel in sin and live in sin, we still wrestle with a sinful nature. where We're still broken and in need of redemption and sanctification. And this is what God does as we learn to follow him and grow intimate in our faith with Christ. The only difference between a godless and a godly person is whether or not you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If he is Lord and leading your life. Now, those that die without accepting Jesus are going to face a judgment. Jesus said in John 16, 9, that the sin that the world has really is that it refuses to believe in him. The sin that is going to convict the world when they stand before Jesus, it doesn't matter how many accolades they've accomplished, how many good things they've done, how many donations they've made to good causes. When you stand before the great white throne, the only thing God is going to measure you by is whether or not you've accepted the Son. Those who truly believe in Christ will be changed by that belief. It'll be evident in the way that they live their lives. But those who don't believe, who don't repent of their sins, will be judged and sent into a place that we call hell for all eternity. They'll be cast out of the presence of God. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8 in the King James Version says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and the murderers, the whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a judgment coming upon the unrighteous. And just this week, meditating on this, I just need to bring this out. This judgment is coming on the majority of people, not the minority. The majority of people, the majority of people that exist in the world are not going to accept the message of Christ, and they are going to be judged, and they are going to be sent for all eternity into that judgment. In Matthew seven thirteen through 15, Jesus said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. We know he is the gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way, but the gate to life is very narrow, and, diff- and the road is difficult, and only a few 
ever find it. Somebody say a few. Does that not startle you in your spirit? Does that not break your heart? Out of the 7.5 billion people in this world, only a fraction of them are going to go to heaven. And it's not because God doesn't love them. It's because of what they're going to choose. The majority of people you pass on the street, at the gas station, in the grocery store, are going to go to hell. One day they will close their eyes in this life and they will open their eyes for all eternity in the judgment. And I want that reality to set in your spirit this morning. And to help us with this truth today, we need to understand truly what this place is like, what hell really is. The first thing we want to look at, one, is where is hell? We, we understand that when Jesus ascended, he rose again and ascended into heaven. We picture him flying up into the clouds, and we know that heaven is up there somewhere. Many believe it's in another dimension, and when Jesus ascended, that he entered some type of portal and went into another dimension, and that's where God lives. The Bible says that heaven is a place that is made by nothing that was created, that God just spoke it into existence. It's not a physical reality, and this gives rise to the, the theories of the multiverse and other things scientists in the metaphysical realm are trying to explain. But where is hell? Where is this place? The Bible gives us very clear indicators. Hell is not above, but hell is below. In number 16, verse 30, it says, If the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, that's the Old Testament word for hell, then you shall know these men have despised the Lord. So it's an opening of the ground, and they descend. And Ezekiel 31, verse 14, says, For all are doomed to die, to go down into the depths of the earth. They will land in the pit along with everyone else on the earth. From the biblical account, hell is located in the center of the earth. There is a place deep within the earth that God has created within the creation of the earth itself for this place we call hell. So the question is, is not, we know where it is, what is it? What is this place? Well, the Old Testament word for hell is this place called Sheol. And Sheol, in the Hebrew language, means a place of no return, a place without praise to God. It's a place where the wicked are sent. The righteous are not abandoned to it. It's a place of exile. It's a place of extreme degradation and sin. Sheol is the eternal resting place for the unrighteous. But Sheol is also connected to another Hebrew word, that word is called Abaddon, which means destruction. Job 26.6 says the underworld, Sheol, is naked in God's presence. The place of destruction, Abaddon, is uncovered. So the word, word Sheol gives us the meaning of the place. It's a place of exile. It's a place for the wicked. But the word Abaddon tells us what is happening there. It's a place where destruction is taking place. And Jesus in the New Testament, as he, he talks about hell, he actually references hell uh, more than he does mention heaven. But in the New Testament, he calls hell by a different name, not the Hebrew word sheol. He calls it by the, the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was also a physical place outside the city of Jerusalem. It was a trash dump. 
It was, it was a place uh, of, uh, a cursed place where people would go dump their trash. In Jeremiah 7.31, we read that in this place called Gehenna, there were idolatrous practices of, of uh, demonic worship that people would go and sacrifice their children alive in the fire. They would kill their kids by burning them alive in this place in honor of their demonic deities. It's a place where people did detestable things and dumped their trash. They burned their garbage, hence the description of a place of destruction. It's a place where trash decomposes. So Jesus likens hell to Gehenna, this, this trash dump. So Sheol, Abaddon, Gehenna is what uh, we refer to in the Bible, if you're looking at the original language, to this place called hell. But the thing about hell is hell was not originally intended for mankind. Hell was not a place we were ever supposed to go and probably never supposed to even know about. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus is giving an illustration, and at the end of the illustration, he says, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Hell was the place God reserved for the angels that rebelled in heaven. When Satan rebelled against God and he he gathered up other angels to fight against God and they were cast out of heaven. God prepared a place for him in the center of the earth. That place was hell. This was meant for him. It was the final resting place of the devil and his demons. But because we, mankind, brought sin into the world and our relationship with God was separated, we could no longer stand in God's presence. Death began to reign over our bodies. And death began to create uh, this path to, uh, to destruction in our lives. And here the word of God in Habakkuk 1.13, as we look at why humankind would have to go to this place rather than going to be with the Lord, in Habakkuk 1.13, talking about God, it says, you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Another translation says, no sinner can be in your presence, can stand in your presence. When we die, our eternal soul lives on, and there's only one place you can go if it's not with the Lord. It's hell. There's no in-between. There's no wandering the earth. There are only two places you can go. It's to be with the Lord or cast out of his presence. Hell was meant to be the final resting place of the devil, but because of sin and the curse that's upon us, when we die physically, our soul lives on. If, we don't, uh, if we're not righteous and holy, we go on to the place where the devil will be for all eternity. God must cast the soul away and send the unrighteous to the only alternative place. Hell is not just a resting place for those who die in their sins to be separated from God, but it's also a place of eternal torment. The third point is that hell is a place of insatiable torment. In Proverbs 27, 20, the Bible says, just as death and destruction, that's Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. The word insatiable means just that, never satisfied. Never satisfied. The fires of hell will never be quenched. The torments of hell will never stop. And some people, some theologians, believe in this doctrine called annihilationism. They believe that in Revelation, when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, that everyone ceases to exist, that their spirits just cease to exist. But the Bible paints a different picture. The Bible tells a different story. John and Revelation and Jesus throughout the New Testament confirm continually the eternal nature of this tormenting reality. 
In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 11, there's a description that uh, refers to the king of Babylon in that day, but the Bible, many theologians believe, also refers to the, the downfall of the devil himself. And in verse 11... This is what the, uh, the Bible says about the devil. It says, Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, or to hell. The sound of your harps, your maggots, are laid as a bed beneath you. The worms are your covers. Sheol is like a burning garbage heap where maggots and worms can be found. Very pleasant sounding, isn't it? Have you ever gone out to your trash can and opened the trash can to be met with the, the sight of maggots in your trash it doesn't happen very often, but it happened to me this past week because I think we had some raw meat or something in there. It was disgusting. And if the, the, the look of maggots all in your trash can isn't enough, the smell will seal the deal. It is horrific, the smell. And my, my wife used to tell me stories about when she worked at the animal clinic and they would have to dig maggots out of wounds from dogs. It's the most disgusting thing ever. I don't know why God allowed them to be created, but maggots, they eat trash. They eat flesh. They, that, that's what they do. And here, what the writer uh, Isaiah is speaking of the devil, and he's speaking of, of Sheol, is that the maggots will be your comfort. The worms will be your covering. That, that this, is, this is not a pleasant thing. This is going to be what is covering you. They eat garbage. They eat rotting flesh. No wonder Jesus refers to Gehenna uh, or hell to Gehenna as a garbage dump. Things are rotting and maggots are consuming. And it, it, just if you're wondering if this is just referring to the devil himself, in Mark 9, 46 through 49, here's what Jesus says about the maggots. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die. Somebody say never die. And the fire never goes out. Somebody say never goes out. Verse 49, he says, for everyone will be tested with fire. This judgment, this circumstance is not just for the devil. Everyone who is sent to hell will be tested, will be burned tormented with fire, and the maggots will consume them. And Jesus said they will never die out. Your soul is eternal, and these things, these worms, these maggots, whatever they, they actually are, they're also eternal, and it doesn't stop. It's continual, day in and day out. Another passage, Jesus tells us a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus, and the rich man is boasting about how great he is, and Lazarus is repenting and weeping at the altar of the Lord, and one day they both die. Lazarus, go, Lazarus goes to paradise to be with the Lord, but the rich man goes into Gehenna, goes into Sheol, and he's being tormented in the flames, and he looks over at Abraham because he can see paradise from afar off, and he calls out to Abraham to send Lazarus to bring him some water to cool his tongue because he's being tormented in the flame. The torments of hell are eternal. Your soul body, the, the body you have in eternity, is an eternal soul. It will not be distinguished. It does not die. The sensations of being burned alive and, and being eaten alive will be a continual sensation throughout all eternity. The smell of burning sulfur, which smells like rotten eggs, if you smelled sulfur in your water, the smell of maggots and burning flesh will be the aroma in hell. Quite pleasant. You see, the deal with Gehenna, or hell, the eternal trash dump, 
is that instead of you going there to dump your spiritual trash, you are the trash. And God is throwing you away forever and forever. It's a place that you cannot leave. The pain of hell is physical. It will be felt, and it does not stop. Number four, your total consciousness will be focused on suffering. Contrary to popular belief and pop culture, many movies or things that you see where people go to hell, it's like they're playing cards with their friends and, and they're making jokes about it and different things. That's not what's going to be happening in hell. You know, when you go to the doctor and you're going to get a shot or some procedure, often you can distract yourself by focusing on something else to try to dull the pain. I know when I was a kid, they used to say, don't, don't watch what's happening. Look somewhere else. And they would do the procedure, and it wouldn't hurt so much. But in hell, there's no dulling the pain. You can't ignore what's happening. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon says this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought, or knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, or hell, to which you are going. There is no thought. There's no jobs in hell. There's no working your way up in the system. There's no deep thinking or, or musings. There's no advancement. There's no impressing people with your wisdom. There's no reflecting on good times. The only thing you will be fixated on in hell is your suffering. That will be the most present thing in your mind. That is all that you'll be experiencing for all eternity is your suffering and the longing to be freed from your suffering. In Matthew 13, verse 50, Jesus says, in throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Such sorrow because the torment never stops. The emotional sorrow experienced in hell will be unlike anything anyone has experienced on earth, even in amidst the most severe trauma because of the insatiable nature of the physical and emotional suffering. Number five, the unrighteous in hell are cut off from all that is good. In Matthew 8, 12, Jesus says, and many, for those whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is also referred to as a place of outer darkness, in the New Testament, in the book of James, we're told that Jesus is the light who leads to life. And in Revelation 22, the Bible tells us that Jesus in heaven for all eternity will be the light himself. There'll be no need for sun or moon or stars because Jesus himself will be the light. So if hell or those in hell are cast into outer darkness, they won't be able to experience any good thing because all good things come from the Father because they'll be in the darkness when those in righteousness will be in the presence of the light. That the light, they will be withheld even from the light of God. They'll not be able to be near Jesus. He will be withheld from them. They will be absent of light and consumed with darkness, completely and utterly disconnected from God and every good thing he's created because all goodness flows from him. But though they'll be disconnected from God, the Bible says they'll still be in his presence. Revelation 14, 10 through 11, it says, They must drink of the wine of God's anger. It's been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they'll be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they'll have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. 
They'll be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? It's Jesus. So they'll be disconnected from the light, but they'll still see the one. Just as the rich man was tormented by seeing Lazarus enjoy paradise, as he was tormented in the flames, I believe the unrighteous dead will see Jesus, but they'll be disconnected from him. They'll see the one who could rescue them, but instead of receiving rescue, they'll receive rejection. Why? Because they rejected the cross in this life, so therefore they'll be rejected to bear their own cross in death. And think about this, how horrific. We just watched a movie this past week or so uh, about this kid that drowned and was under the water for something like 40 minutes, and in 72 hours, he was completely restored. It's called Breakthrough. But think about being in a situation where you're drowning and being at just to the surface of the water, almost ready to perish, and you're about to break through the top of the water to get your breath, but the moment you're about to break through, something pulls you back down. Every time you get close, you get pulled back down. Or maybe in a situation where you catch on fire and you're burning in fire and you see a puddle of water and and you want to go jump in the water to quench the flames, but every time you get close, the puddle moves. And you can't get there. I believe that's what's going to be the experience of people in hell. They will see the one who can save them. They'll be scrambling and trying to get to the one who can save them only to never be able to make it to him. They'll never be able to get to the one who could have saved them if they had only chosen to trust in Jesus. And I know many in our society and our culture, we, we have these slang words, these slang phrases and we, we consider these curse words in our culture. And when people say the word damn or they use the word hell, we say damn this, damn that. Or, hey man, why don't you go to hell? I don't believe that people, when you say that, you really know what you're saying. You have no idea what you're really wishing on people. See, this fate this of eternal judgment something I wouldn't wish on anybody. I think if God were to give us eyes to see into hell and we could look at even what we would consider some of the worst that humanity has ever produced, like Hitler or child molesters, people that abuse children, murderers, rapists, the worst of the worst, and we were to get a glimpse of what they were going through, our hearts would cry out for mercy. I don't think we can even comprehend what we are saying and what we're putting on people when we say things like that. And here's the reality. I know many people will say, well, how could a loving God send people to this place? The reality is God's not laughing at the suffering of people in hell. He's broken over it too. Ezekiel 18, 23, God says through the prophet, do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked deeds and live. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. God knows what's on the other side of eternity for the wicked. The cry of God's heart is repent, turn from your sins, turn away from your evil deeds, trust in the sacrifice of my son, find the salvation for your souls. I believe as a father, it breaks his heart every time a wicked person is sent into hell. Because every soul that goes to hell is one of his children. He has to witness for all eternity endure the suffering of torment. Their screams and agony, as the Bible says, rises ever before him for all eternity, like the smoke of an incense. 
When my kids were little, my wife will tell you, I couldn't take them to the doctor to get their shots or anything like that. I would, I would go nuts just hearing them cry and them scream. And I would almost kind of get violent with the doctor. There was one time my daughter Jocelyn was, had this ear infection, and we took him in, her in to, to the doctor, and he laid her on the table and had her turn her head, and he was digging in her ear with something, trying to get wax out, and she was just screaming at the top of her lungs, and I just wasn't even thinking about it. I was walking up to him with my fist clenched, and I was going to knock him out because I was saying in my, in my heart, it's like, stop, stop, you better, you better stop, you know, because he's hurting my baby girl. And, I, and then I'm thinking, if I'm feeling that for my child, how much more is God feeling for every one of his children that are sent for all eternity into hell? See, the truth is for us today that this eternity of torment and suffering, this place of unquenchable destruction, this place of, of horrific and horrendous uh, circumstances is what we were all destined for the moment we were born into this life. Bible says we are born into sin. This is the judgment we're all meant to face. And this is why Jesus came to die. Because God couldn't abandon us to this fate. He loved us too much. God showed us how much he loved us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Instead of having to pay the penalty for our sins and enter into judgment, Isaiah 53, 3 through 6 says, He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us were like sheep. We've strayed away. We left God's paths to follow our own, yet Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is why Jesus came. He was sent on a rescue mission. He was sent on a rescue mission to pull us out of the fires of hell. Church, if we don't understand what is awaiting us in hell, what was awaiting you in hell, you will not be able to fully appreciate what Jesus did to get you out of hell. If you don't recognize and understand what God rescued you from, you won't appreciate what he has saved you to. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus didn't just die for sin. He became the embodiment of sin. He became sin so God could judge him instead of us. He took on himself the, the, the curses that we unleashed so that we could be freed from the curses. If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you can get a glimpse of the suffering that Jesus had to go through on the cross, but that wasn't even the half of it. In Isaiah 52, 14, the Bible says that when they saw him, they were amazed because his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human, and from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was a man. We don't understand the reality of the wrath that Jesus endured. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, he bore all of our weakness. That means sickness. He bore all of our ailments, all of our weaknesses, mind, body, and soul. Every sickness was laid upon him, every ounce of suffering, every trauma, every curse, every anguish, everything was placed upon Jesus so that when he was on the cross, he was not just crushed physically, he was crushed completely. 
God's anger, his wrath was poured out on Jesus. His beatings were to crush him. And God temporarily crushed Jesus so that we did not have to be eternally destroyed. God temporarily crushed Jesus so we did not have to be eternally destroyed. You see, even with the bad news, there's good news. And it's better than good news. The message of the cross is good news. But this news is not meant to be kept silent, y'all. It's not just for our personal knowledge or understanding. God has entrusted all who received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. All who've received the salvation of their souls. Everyone who's been pulled out of the fire and seated with him in heavenly places. He has entrusted all of us to be carriers of the gospel to help save others from the same fate we were rescued from. Romans 10, 14 says, how can they call on him? Unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Someone had to tell you. Somebody had to tell you. Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to share it with? We have to get over what people think about us. How smart or how stupid we think we're going to sound if we reach out. We have to love God and people more than we love ourselves. To share the most important news they will ever hear in their lives. They don't even have a shot unless they get a chance to hear. We need to be asking the people in our lives the most important question that they will ever be asked. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have your sins been forgiven? Do you know that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity with God? Do you know his love for you? And I would ask you that same question today. Do you know Jesus? Do you know? Do you know what he did for you? Do you know what he wants for you? Do you know how much he loves you? And do you know that he did all the hard work? And all you have to do is say yes. Say, God, I'm a sinner. But I'm so thankful Jesus paid that price for me. I receive it. I receive the gift. I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior today. In just a minute, when we stand and we pray, and Tony leads us in another song, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Maybe in your heart, you've never made that decision. You've never accepted Jesus. You don't know that if you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven. In just a minute, when we stand, you'd be the first one down. You'd be the first one down, and we'll pray, and we'll pray the prayer that's going to radically transform your life. The Bible says not only are you forgiven, but the Spirit of God's going to live in you. He's going to breathe new life in you. You'll become a new creation. All things that were in the past will be past. All things will become new.
In just a moment when we stand and pray, if you've already made that decision and you're not telling people, it's time to repent. It's time to repent of callousness, of apathy, of self-centered living. It's time to repent of not loving your neighbor. It's time to repent and pick up the mantle of a witness for Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this life you can be afraid of that's greater than the hell they will experience. Nothing. And God has made it so easy just to say, hey, God loves you. Let me introduce you to the one that's changed my life. Are you living today like you've been saved from hell? Is the thankfulness and love for the Savior of your souls overflowing in your life? Are you sharing what God has done for you with other people? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Just for a moment of prayer. Holy Spirit, Father, thank you. Thank you. for what you did through Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come. Holy Spirit, thank you for a new life. God, I pray that the shackles of apathy, of fear, would be broken, that the curse of religion would be shattered, God, I pray that the coldness of hearts would be ignited with the flame of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for an outpour of your Spirit in such a way that boldness would shake this place. God, I pray for the one who right now doesn't know that they're a child of God, that their sins are forgiven. God, that you would draw them. God, I pray that from this day forward, we would awake each day with a new purpose. Holy Spirit, pour your power out on this place. We just pray, God, that you minister among us right now.